Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast about two brothers, Sam Foster and Danny Moran, who are both engineering whiz kids. After their father passes away, the two invent a fully mobile robot with advanced artificial intelligence called Newman in order to help their now single mother, Katie Rogers, with the household chores. However, after a playfully performed seance at Halloween, the ghost of their late father possesses Newman. The boys are overjoyed at the return of their dad and the three catch up on some much-missed father and son bonding. However, their happy reunion soon comes under threat from a bunch of evil corporate suits who want to get their money-hungry hands on Newman so they can take him apart, see how he ticks, pan the design, and sell it for mass consumption. It's what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the actual film and you think your parents are weird, which I actually saw as a young boy and remembered enjoying. This is in fact just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran and joining me is my little baby bro with a head full of dreams but a heart full of pain. Sam Foster. Hello. We've got another three review bonanza this week, uh, and the Oscars just happened, so there's a lot of good material for Danny and I to have a funny and engaging chit-chat. I apologise in advance for what is much more likely, 45 minutes of mouth farts. Danny will be reviewing Kelly Reichardt's Certain Women, about the intersecting lives of a group of highly cool female actors in Montana, and I will be looking at a pair of play adaptations, Denzel Washington's Fences and Xavier Dolan's It's Only the End of the World, two intense dramas, with so much acting in them, people will be smelling it on me for weeks. We also uh, will be looking back at the Oscars, of course. It was a fun-packed ceremony that stole the night of our lives that we will never get back. We'll be discussing all aspects of it, including Jimmy Kimmel's weird tourist bus people stunt, the uh, wrong best picture gate, and that dress. I don't actually know which dress I mean. That just seems like the sort of thing people say. To cap it all off, Danny will be quizzing me on the history of White House film screenings, a foolish subject on which to challenge me as I am a world authority in this area and I have the 1 million YouTube subscribers to prove it. Please check out my latest video, Did Jimmy Carter Invent the DVD? Yes, he did, and I can prove it. Here is the proof and a 15-minute discussion thereof. I talk fast and I edit even faster and you can always find me in the comments decimating the trolls. Don't forget to like and subscribe. All that should leave just enough time for me to remind Danny that there's no law that says I got to like him. But I like him anyway. Long. We've got films up to your guilt.
guys so danny and i watched the oscars live just like we did last year we didn't do any uh recording of ourselves throughout because last time it was like a little sort of play date yeah sleepover play date uh but this time we were watching it in a group of people i was anyone dumb enough to have not taken the day off work uh so i had a pretty brutal day but it was still it was kind of fun it was uh yeah it was a good ceremony better much better than the baftas isn't it let's be honest yeah it's way better Way better, a bit more going on, more effort's been put in to the writing. If even if the writing isn't that particularly sharp, at least someone has tried to write some jokes. Yeah, it's a, it's certainly a lot sharper than the Stephen Fry stuff. Um, so I guess the first thing to mention has got to be the gaff at the end, right? Which Amazing. was incredible. It was so good. I mean, that kind of made the whole thing worth it because at least there was a moment that people will be talking about and that we were there to see live. Yeah, it was. You know, a and you had, it was like moment. that was the reward for staying up all night. And uh, then it's 6 a.m. You finally get a sort of newsworthy thing. Has that ever happened before? No, I don't think so. They just That's what's so amazing the best about picture? it. It's incredible. Yeah, I believe what happened is, uh, so the, it's controlled by PricewaterhouseCoopers for some reason, which I did not know. But the accountancy firm, PricewaterhouseCoopers, deals with all of the uh, awards administration. And two of the firm's partners, this must be like one of the bonuses you get if you're yeah, a perks. PwC partner, uh, were in the wings... And they have like stacks of uh, the envelopes. They have like dummy envelopes and they've also memorized all the award winners. And poor Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, Hollywood legends, were handed the duplicate envelope for um, Best best Actress. Yeah. Yeah. Which went to Emma Stone, uh, resulting in a sort of hilarious comedy bit that was totally unplanned um, and caused mass humiliation and embarrassment for many people. Beatty, Dunaway, Kimmel um the entire production team behind la la land yeah i mean the producer justin horwitz handled it very well and very graciously absolutely and, yeah uh there was a cool thing today of um damien chazelle and barry jenkins who have become sort of like buddies because of their on the same kind of press tour of them just like on the oscars the morning after still wearing their suits and just like chatting about it oh yeah really i mean on one hand it's unfortunate that la la land still sort of had to share this or like moonlight had to share the spotlight with la la land yeah you know who i blame who do you blame? Viola Davis. Let me explain my reasoning here, right? Very so interesting culprit. She, well, you can speak to this, right? Because you've seen Fences. She's a lead actress in that movie, right? That's what people are saying. Or do you or do you think the supporting actress, because she won a Tony for that performance and it was a lead actress role. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is the lead female role. Yeah. There's certainly not, she's not, there is no like female role more significant than that one. But had she stuck to her category of lead actress, which I know general critical consensus says she was the lead, then she probably would have won. And when the envelope would say, Vola Davis, Fences, right? It, it wasn't nominated for best. No, nominated. it was nominated for best picture. It was, picture, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. But it wouldn't, it would be a bit more of like really Fences won because everyone knew it was going to be La Land or Moonlight. So it would have been Denzel and everyone up there. And then instead of it being a movie about how White Guy Saves Jazz giving it to a film about <laughs> black people, it would have been another black film giving it to Moonlight. a superior black film. Yeah. And the whole thing would be less awkward. That's true. So I blame Viola. That's actually true. <laughs> that would have been a much better scene. It is unfortunate that a movie about a white guy saving jazz now is a narrative about a white guy saving like black Oscars or Her. 
I can't remember her Oscar speech. It went on for a long time. But her BAFTA speech was all about celebrating unsung black lives. But she stole Naomi Harris's Oscar and then she made Moonlight share their award of La La Land. Outrageous. Outrageous. How Viola. could you do it, Viola? How could you do it? I know it probably wasn't you. It was like, I don't know, your press team or whatever and this whole narrative about you being best supporting actress. But had you been in lead, the thing would have been less awkward. I don't think it's as egregious as Dev Patel for Lion, since he's very obviously the lead That's role ridiculous. in that movie. That's insane. In Fences, you could kind of argue that Denzel Washington is the lead role and she's kind of supporting him because it's all very much revolves around him. Right. But she also is like certainly the second most prominent character in the whole film. So, yeah. Okay. Probably, we consider the lead. Um, what did you make of Kimmel? What's your verdict on Kimmel? I think he was very much like a safe choice from the outset, and he was pretty funny. There was some, his um, sort of comedy bickering with Matt Damon was quite good. I think that that, that gag is so old and so kind of, uh, because obviously they love each other, it's a bit like um, chummy and like, you know, bit irritating. Too... But okay. that was actually quite funny, you know? <laughs> like, I thought it would just be really annoying and like, come on, we're tired of this shit now. I know your friends are Matt Damon, but it was actually pretty funny. Yeah. There's obviously on Monday, there's the sort of round of the conservative news channels complaining about the Oscars. And they gave him plenty fodder because uh, at one point he just dropped like candy from the sky for everybody. Yeah. And then this sort of like pseudo Letterman bit where he just let the sort of plebs and all people come in and they could like look at the celebrities that and like weird. shake their hands. How did like, he think that was going to play? Like, But it's a bit like, aren't you lucky? Like you're so, you're welcome people. Yeah. And it's like, fuck you, Jimmy Kimmel. It's like, don't treat me like some cattle to herd through your ceremony. would be incredible if like what? normal people met actors? Wouldn't that be insane? This is the best moment of their lives. For the, for the actors, it's like, they're like, normally you're just making me a sandwich or giving me coffee or driving my limo. But now I'm actually having to talk to you. Yeah. This is crazy whoa hilarious you're welcome everyone laughs yeah i don't know that was kind of creepy that was a bit odd like especially because all of the like uh sort of liberal speechifying is always has these very universal messages of you know we're all in this together and uh a bit like viola davis's speech about you know recognizing unsung black lives whatever and like connecting their you know uh, the millionaires to the rest of humanity and stuff and then there's just this whole bit that like could not flag up the divide anymore also jimmy can make this thing it's like if we all took the moment to talk to somebody we could heal the divide and it's like come on through like okay t- got to wrap up this segment get, out, now. get out get out get out <laughs> yeah denzel's gonna marry you or whatever obviously he won't he's a millionaire he won't do that he doesn't know you. He's going to make a film. He's, he's, got, he's got films to make. Professional film actor. Yeah. <laughs> he's got time to marry random people he meets. He doesn't give a shit about you. He does not care about you. He wouldn't care if you lived or died. And I get the fuck out of this ceremony. <laughs> I think they should have embraced that, uh, that that undercurrent for it. And it should have just been like herding them in. And then all the celebrities throw the candy at them. And yeah. like mock them. And you know, there should have been a bit where... Uh, I don't know, fucking Casey Affleck like buys the guy's clothes or whatever. He pays him like ten thousand dollars to like strip naked and then like, and to make them fight each other. And then they have to fight over it. <laughs> a death pit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Meryl Street throwing like money at them. And yeah. Some sort yeah. of Mad Max free kind of future. Yeah, absolutely. Like they should just you know fully embrace their status as the overlords um, of the which peons, they are, which they are, which they certainly are. What do you think of um? Casey Affleck getting the Oscar and just the general sort of ignoring the fact that some of the nominees were like 
less than morally stellar, if that's the way to put it. I don't know, like, Mel yeah. Gibson's been forgiven. Well, obviously, like, these hypocrisies have existed in Hollywood for a really long time, but it really flags them up when they are constantly criticising the president, not purely on political grounds, but also on the grounds that he's, like, a repulsive person who mistreats women and minorities. And Hollywood is known for rehabilitating those people as long, you know, if they like them well enough. Yeah. Uh, so it's a bit odd. It's like, you know, there is nothing that Trump has done that Mel Gibson hasn't done in terms of his personal behavior. But like that guy's like in the room and everyone loves him now. Yeah. He's, so it is a bit weird. He shaved for the ceremony. Yeah, he made that was it. disappointing, by the way. I thought he would have like a giant beard and it was really like, it's like that's his rehabilitation complete. Now he's not even an old, weird, miserable, self-hating crank anymore. Now he's just like, he looks like he could present CNN or something. Like, what? What? You can't look like that. At least, you ha- Kate, you, at least yeah. You have to look like life is beating you down and put you through the ringer. You can't just look normal. Like, that's outrageous. Casey Affleck already has the look of somebody who's been through the ringer before he's been really put through it. Do they make some kind of deal where, like, only one of us is going to be the sort of, like, abusive bearded man? <laughs> Yeah, they they uh, tossed a coin before the ceremony. Yeah, the only one at a time. <laughs> yeah. Mel Gibson yeah. was annoyed because he had more beard to shave. He was like, it would be easier if you didn't shave your beard, but I guess you got the pony cell now, so there's a whole look. Is it going to turn out that Casey Affleck is making I'm Still Here too, starring himself? Because he's kind of adopted the look of Joaquin Phoenix Holy in that movie. Shit. Maybe. That would be incredible. If he's he... suddenly like, he comes out, he's like, I'm starting a rap career now. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone is like, nobody, um, immediately nobody buys it. I liked how Brie Larson gave him some shade, though. You see that? What she was the shade? She didn't clap. She just looked a bit stern. I don't know. This is a sort of shade. Twitter thing. They're just making a moment they out of it. They caught it. Yeah, there was a lot of, like, you didn't quite get the uh, universal applause. That's good. I think a lot of people just didn't clap. Good on Brie. She's pretty awesome. I think she's yeah. done some good clapbacks on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Of that, of that kind. Remember yeah. that time you gave me an Oscar last year for playing a woman who was a victim of sexual assault repeatedly? Now I'm going to give an Oscar to this guy. Yeah. Seriously, Academy. That was like, I didn't Why did nobody think about the optics of that? I didn't yeah. know. That was weird. Yeah, it is. It is unfortunate. I actually thought that the, the ceremony was not as political as I was expecting, to be honest. It was like, pretty it vague. Let's all get along. The most political the thing bad. was the a statement by the director of The Salesman when he won um, uh, Best Foreign Language Movie. Uh, uh, Faradi, forget his first yeah, name. Yeah, something like Yeah, I can't remember. As Asgar Faradi Asghar or something. Faradi. Yeah, uh, but uh, but other than that, there wasn't there wasn't too much of it, was there? I guess like in a, in a way, Kimmel was an odd choice because everyone's expecting the most politicized Oscars ever, but he's such a uh, friendly neighborhood comedian that it wasn't going to happen. No, and they probably could have used someone with a bit more bite. It would have been kind of fun to have somebody test the room in the way that Chris Rock did a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely, um, and it would have actually been worse because I think that the liberal culture, like white liberal culture, is more um, accustomed to being called out as racist than they are for like rehabilitating like sex abusers, for example. Yeah. yeah. So if someone had brought that up, I think it would have been like extra frosty in you know the best way possible. When I say frosty, I mean like great, yeah. as in keep it frosty, and keep also frosty. Is, is also in, also is in an uncomfortable atmosphere. Yeah, but yeah, maybe next year. Maybe next year. Who could do it? Uh, it should be um, uh, Louis C.K. Yeah. Like, I think... Yeah, it'd be I think, like I think he'd, more like. I think he'd be perfect. Straight up like a sort of pedo Straight bit. Straight up. P- pedo bit. Every <laughs> bit is a pedo bit. Um, make everyone feel terrible. I saw a quite creepy clip of, like, when Roman Polanski won for the pianist, and he wasn't at a collector, and there was, like, a standing ovation in the room, and, like, Meryl Streep's, like, clapping along, and then, like, oh, the whole man, room. really? And it's like... Did you know why he's not here, right? Like, he'd be arrested and put in prison for he rape. He raped a child. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, oh, the pianist, though. Oh, what a film. Oh, but the Holocaust was really bad. So comparatively, the subject matter of his film and his personal life, miles apart. So, yeah. So really, maybe that's what he did. Maybe that's a genius PR move by Polanski. Well, he made it a film about one of the few people on Earth to have done something worse than him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He just, just makes films about terrible people, so he looks okay yeah. comparatively. Yeah. What does in that? Well, like, what does that say about Blair? He made the ghost about the sort of Blair-like <laughs> figures. <laughs> he must have a very low opinion of Blair. He thinks it's even worse than himself. Oh well. Anyway, yeah. So I would say it was a pretty good ceremony, actually, given that like. I had to sacrifice precious, precious sleep for it. I enjoyed it. I had a fun night. We watched quite a bit of the Bicentennial Man as well. And that's a very important film. So I'm happy to have seen some of that. Me too. Classic, mate. Superhero films announced. Casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tips. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print. A while back on the podcast, we reviewed The Lobster, which got a best, well, got a nomination for best original screenplay at the Academy Awards this weekend. I must have come out much later in the US. And Yorgos Lanthimos has already made another film called The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which is going to be out this year, which has got Colin Farrell in it. Must be good. That's a sick name. It's a sick name. And Colin Farrell's great. He's great in The Lobster. Well, Colin Farrell, Yorgos Lanthimos, animal-related film. It's got to be a winner. It's going to be. It's amazing. It's the greatest double act in cinema today. Yes. I think. I agree. And he's not one for resting on his laurels, so Yorgos has got his next film in production. It is called The Favourite. It's been milling about for a while. Emma Stone's attached to it, and... Now I guess it's going. To, the budget's going to go up a bit because she's got her Oscar, and the film is going to be about Queen Anne, who's going to be played by Olivia Coleman, pretty awesomely. She was the final monarch of the Stuarts, who ruled for a mere twelve years, from 1702 to 1714. And uh, Rachel Weisz is going to be the Duchess of Marlborough. She's one of uh, the Queen's closest confidants. With Emma Stone playing Abigail Masham, a poverty-stricken distant relative of. Rachel Weisz's character, who suddenly granted a position at court, tending to the Queen, resulting in a shifting balance of power between the courtiers. I've got to, I should ask my mum about this movie because she knows this kind of history. I've got to do an interview with my with my mum. Then I'll get then I'll have some great takes. She on She knows this. about the Stuarts. Well, she's just got more of a you know that classical education where she knows about kings and queens and stuff. I don't I don't know about that. My head is filled with different kinds of knowledge. I had one of those rulers which had kings on it. So like a ruler with all the rulers. A ruler ruler. A ruler ruler. I had one of those, but it was PMs. Maybe that still counts. Nah, it's probably the same. Still, different kind of ruler ruler. That's an awesome cast. I know Rachel Weisz and Olivia Conn were in The Lobster, so I guess they must have loved Yorgos so much. She gave him a call and he's like... They loved Yorgos. Loved that guy. But what this reminds me of... Um, Yorgos Lanthimos. Loved that guy. <laughs> Love Lanthimos. I worked with him any time. What do you want to do, Lanthimos? I'm there. Play the queen. I'm there. Great Olivia Coleman impression. Count me in. Count me in. I was Col- in peep Coleman's show. down. See me the night manager? I rocked it. Okay. <laughs> See you on set. I play spies. I play queens. That's it now. <laughs> um, what I was going to say is that this casting kind of reminds me of a um, like a Lars von Trier movie where he's like a cool European director and just seems to be able to attract some A-list stars and, he has quite, and you end up with these very eclectic casts of international actors just because... The cool auteur just likes all these different people. So you mm. end up with these like 
like melancholia like john hurt and Kiefer sutherland are in the same movie and it's like why is the guy from 24 and that it's like this sort of mental mashup yeah and dunce and uh charlotte gainsborough were sisters that makes no sense but okay well there's probably like a lot of these actors step off the set of the latest marvel movie or whatever and they're like they watch the lobster and like i want to be in this fucking film you know <laughs> no green screens meat. no strings attached to me physically or in, in other ways you know i just get to yeah i get to like eat as well and grow out my gut because everyone looks like a real person yeah and um you know do some real acting so yeah i think it sounds like an intriguing project it's got a very cool cast and i like the idea of a, a court drama with a lanthimos twist absolutely have you seen any of his other movies have you seen dog tooth or anything no, we've i feel really like i don't quite have a handle on yeah dog tooth must be yeah the dvd of dog tooth is sitting in this house somewhere and i gotta make the most watch of it and watch it okay let's pause it now watch it and come back okay we've watched it it's wow. brilliant oh wow my oh my god well we've just watched the film I don't think I can articulate anything to say about it. I'm so blown away. Oh, it was such an overwhelming experience. When are you going to need to process that? Let's just take a moment to process the film, and then we'll come back. Okay, wow. Okay. I've just processed it. Even well, better on reflection. That was actually more intense than even watching the film, processing it. Uh, but having reflects on it, it's definitely a five-star film, I would say. Top notch. Great work. The, love the dog's tooth in it. So detailed. Beautiful. I don't know if it's five stars. I'm going to have to think about it a bit more. I thought about it as a five-star film. Yeah, I actually thought about it again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bang it up to six, right off the scale. So good. Full, full review coming. Let me just write my review. All right, I've written it. All right, sorry for the gap. That took me six hours. It had to be perfect. Oh no, we've run out of time in this segment. I can't read from my verbatim review. Also, it's like, you know, the middle of the night now. It's like four a.m. because this whole process of constant gaps and um, enjoying Lanthimos's uh, film has taken too long. Yeah, you should probably just get on the reviews. Yeah, let's just move on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Looks like Sam's got a film to review. He's just getting ready now. Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are going to help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. Fences. Okay, I'm still watching those Oscar films, even though no one gives a shit now because the ceremony is over. Uh, but I'm still catching up. So it is a uh, directed by Denzel Washington, an adaptation of a play by August Wilson. Denzel Washington plays a man called Troy Maxson, who uh, is a garbage collector in the 50s. Uh, in, he lives in Pittsburgh, and uh, he lives with his wife, Rose, played by Viola Davis, and he's got a couple of sons, um, and also a brother who is uh, brain-damaged uh, following a war, um, like injury he got in the war, who uh, lived with him until very recently and now lives down the road. And it kind of takes place over a, a period of time in this family's life uh, and the like various struggles and difficulties that they fall into. Here is a scene of Denzel confronting his son with whom he has a somewhat strained relationship. How come you ain't never liked me? Like you? Who the hell said I got to like you? 
What law is there say I got to like you? Want to stand up in front of my face and ask a damn fool-ass question like that? Talking about liking somebody. Come here, boy, when I talk to you. Straighten up, damn it. I asked you a question. What law is there say I got to like you? None. All right, then. Don't you eat every day? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't you eat every day? Yeah. As long as you're in my house, you put a sir on the end of it when you talk to me. Yes, sir. You eat every day. Yes, sir. Got a roof over your head. Yes, sir. Got clothes on your back. Yes, sir. Why you think that is? Because of you. <laughs> Hell, I know it's because of me. But why do you think that is? Because you like me. You probably heard that clip. That's the one they like to play. It's got great Denzel Washington acting in it. Maximum acting. Maximum acting. There's so much acting in this uh, in this thing. It's absolutely incredible. You can see why an actor wanted to make it into a film. <laughs> Gives him so many opportunities to act. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was really good. It's a very unashamed um, adaptation of a play. You know, like it makes absolutely no bones about its theatrical origins and feels like you're watching a play the whole time. It's actually a little bit like watching one of those tv events or like when you go to the nat um the oh, cinema right. watch something that's been on the national yeah yeah when it's like one level above a stage production where they've like filmed the stage production to be broadcast but you're still clearly watching a play kind of thing yeah i didn't find it to be a huge problem i listened to kermode's review of it earlier today and he was complaining it wasn't very cinematic and i feel like the medium of cinema is sufficiently elastic to accommodate the you know enough different dramatic styles that it's kind of okay sure you can probably make the case that it's inevitably feels like one step removed from how the story was intended to be experienced because the language is like and the rhythms of it are very much from the world of theater so it's a film where even if you had no idea about the existence of the play, you'd know you're watching an adaptation. Right. Uh, so, you know, perhaps that limits it in some way, but I feel like the experience of watching it, you're still fully engaged in the story. And even though it's a relatively hands-off directorial approach, I think he still does a relatively elegant job. I think it's pretty, pretty well directed. Um, it's got uh, extremely good performances everywhere. Viola Davis was a deserved winner, I think, uh, of the Oscar, whether she should have been in that category or the leading one. But she has the most interesting character in some ways, and she does a spectacular performance. And so Denzel's is also extremely good, um, and the whole cast. It's a relatively small cast, but... It's been a while since Denzel seems to have done something particularly... It's a bit of a step away from The Equalizer or Magnificent Seven. It seems to be yeah, it's, yeah. a big, dramatic media role. I don't think there's been... a one in a while i don't know in yeah absolutely i'm not a scholar of denzel's work particularly i don't like haven't seen that many of his movies to be honest but he does a great job it's very much like big acting like uh, the sort of oscar-y type roles sure they're emoting there's a lot of emoting there's crying there's shouting all that good stuff but um it all works because the material is very strong um and it's all about something um and it doesn't feel like they're not vain performances at all. It's not like, look at me acting. It's like... Not for your consideration. Yeah, exactly. It's very much in service of the material. Um, and because I'm like basically ignorant about plays, anytime I see a play, I'm like, this is like an Arthur Miller play because it's like I've like read like three Arthur Miller plays and I'm just comparing it to him. But I, but because that's my film reference, that's kind of where I went to in that it is uh, a bit of something social history that's written by somebody who's very cast conscious and is basically trying like it's a work which is very consciously trying to elevate uh the day-to-day -day lives and problems of uh, people in the lower section of society to the sort of realm of art and i think part of what makes the project so successful is partly that the play is a kind of love letter to 
the lives of poor urban black Americans. And it's obvious that Denzel Washington, who's marshaled this project, is deeply in love with the play and also with the characters within it. And the play itself is kind of about how people define themselves by uh, the, the sort of cultural and social context that they're in. And there's this thread running from a contemporary production of this play, like contemporary adaptation of a play that was written in 1987 that is set in 1957 and whose characters themselves talk a lot about their own uh, like history and like their, what their own fathers did and like right. how their lives have changed since the previous generation of black Americans. And it's kind of about how people who are in very poor material circumstances and whose lives are pretty much taken up entirely by their filial duties, the duties towards their family and like, and, and work invest themselves and their lives with identity and with meaning based on the context that they're in and it's like a uh, a way of bringing that it's a bit basically basically what viola davis has been saying in her awards acceptance speech is that it's like it's not just like shining a spotlight on like how people lived you know when the, these movies aren't only made about those kinds of people but about how like it's drawing that kind of connection that makes that brings that past into today yeah and I think that's part of the appeal of the film is that it's so full of that like sense of empathy and kindness for its characters because the the relationship for, of the play to its characters is like the relationship of the characters to their own like uh, fathers and grandfathers yeah. and you know parents and stuff. Uh, it's also an examination of the pressures and tensions within a nuclear family in the 50s, a very like traditional nuclear family in a kind of patriarchal society. And one of the things that it does very well is that Denzel Washington is the main character and a lot of it is a kind of about how like he's under all these different pressures. He's very poor. Uh, his dream didn't quite work out because he was a very good baseball player and now he's like a garbage collector, uh, which he blames on uh, basically racism um, because they weren't there like black guys play on the on the big teams. Um, and about how like life has kind of like ground him down and he's kind of hard a little bit hard on his wife a little bit hard on his son as a result but about how like that's sort of the focus the main sort of focus of the play but in the second half of it i'm always thinking of it as the play i can't i keep when sure, i was writing sure. my notes on this i kept writing play and then having to create a film but uh in the second half of it viola davis's character comes out a lot more and one of the more like interesting points that the play is making that isn't made so much in the Arthur Miller plays uh, also about working class families is that uh, even though he is basically in a system that's kind of like crushing the life out of him because he's like the man of the family like that comes with burdens but it also comes with an identity that allows him to like situate his own struggles like as his own yeah it's like this is my house like I provided for you like I gave you life whatever he says to his son like yeah. And it's all about what's his and like the problems are his. But his wife is like the role of the wife in that kind of situation is to like give up her own identity to mm. the service of the family, yeah. and, like her children and her husband. And that is something that comes out much more in the second half of the movie when Viola Davis plays more of a dramatic role and is more assertive in the way she acts. And it's kind of making this point that women suffer under a greater difficulty in a way because they have many of the same kinds of pressures but like they can't even articulate them in a way that like justifies themselves because they've had to like give up their sense of self to something else which he has never had to do um yeah and it just it does it does a good job <laughs> uh, tackling these themes um and i thoroughly enjoyed it it's pretty long it's like uh two hours 20 minutes long whatever it's like the length of a play i guess um, maybe they cut it down but i guess not by that much but I recommend it. I think it's still still showing in a few places. Yeah. 
Um, There's usually a sort of post-Oscar bump of a couple of weeks where they sort of all the films. So you can again. go and check them out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Everyone is sort of acting their absolute socks off, and it's a, it's obviously made with a great deal of care and like devotion, and someone who's like very very passionate about this material. And the setting is um, interesting and, and unusual, and yeah, it's a good play and a film as well. <laughs> <laughs> and now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it astoundingly poor? Out of Danny for the judgment, we're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So, certain women. This is the fifth film by Kelly Reichardt. She is an indie darling. Every loves her films. Dougal's always telling me to watch her films. He's like, do you want to borrow this DVD of Wendy and Lucy? I'm like, I'll get around to it. He actually did lend me a DVD of Wendy and Lucy. Well, there you go. Unfortunately, I realised that my new laptop doesn't have a DVD player on it, which is a bit of an obstacle, to be honest. Yeah, so didn't watch any of her previous films, but have seen her latest one at the London Film Festival with Dougal, in fact. That means you just skip the early work, see the see the best stuff, the new mature stuff. I want to know the new shit. I don't care. Money, Lucy, that stuff probably dated. I don't want to see the works in progress. Just give me the finished masterpiece. Exactly. So the plot is three different tales of certain women. These are all adapted from short stories by the author Mel Malloy, who I didn't know, but apparently she's a big deal. Mm. The first is about Laura Dern, who's a lawyer dealing with a cantankerous client, played by Jared Harris, who, despite hiring her, doesn't really respect or acknowledge her legal advice. The second is about Michelle Williams, whose marriage is going through a rough patch and wants to build a holiday cottage out of repurposed materials and the third is about a native american rancher played by newcomer lily gladstone who attends this night class about education law taught by Kristen stewart and starts an odd friendship slash infatuation with her and uh they're all sort of loosely connected by the fact that it's all set in montana and they're all women that's about it and here's a clip of Kay stew explaining to Lily Gladstone, how she ended up getting the job while in a diner. And you can't tell from this clip, but Lily Gladstone is doing some great non-verbal acting. I took this job before I finished law school. I wanted any job. I was afraid of my loans coming due. I didn't know where Belfry was. I guess I was thinking about Belgrade, which is a lot closer. So stupid. And I got a real job. And they're letting me do this because they think it's funny. The pass is icy. It takes me four hours to get here. It's going to take me four hours to get back. I have to work in the morning. So this is a film that I enjoyed when I saw it, but I wasn't immediately taken with it. Uh, But it has continued to grow on me. And there are some parts of it that uh, didn't particularly work for me, but there's a lot to recommend about it. It's a very slow burn of a film, and it's all about the minutiae of life and everyday internal emotions. And the dramatic stakes and conflicts are low, but it's kind of relative to the film. And by zeroing on these women's lives, uh, small women's take on a big significance. And it's very well structured. And just by having these three stories, you automatically compare and contrast them in your brain. And that makes the whole thing... uh, very rich experience because uh, you start to invest in the movie more so than with whether it was just one character for 90 minutes. It's also beautifully shot. It, the use of the Montana landscapes is really effective. And as it's about emotional, internal lives, the landscapes do a good job of sort of externalizing that. 
And it really sells the idea that everyone is in their own movie. And the certain women title is almost ironic because it's like certain women is like, I've picked these characters to follow, but also it could have been any women anywhere and I would have made something as dramatically interesting. It's a very feminist movie, I think. I don't know. It was made by... I don't really know what feminism is. It's just whatever women do. <laughs> I'm always terrified that women I'm... Women do something about women, it's feminist. I'm always terrified that I think I'm woke and going to claim something's feminist and an actual feminist explain while I've just, you know... Uh, yeah, Anita Sarkeesian is just going to do a video on how your review is bullshit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm terrified of women calling me out for not being a feminist. Does that make me a feminist? Um, They're just, yeah. Being, there's nothing more feminist than being terrified of what women think of you. That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate one. Exactly. Night. I live in fear. That's what male allies are like. Just scared of women all the time. Exactly. The performances by the four leads are all brilliant. And they're all doing... Well, they're all doing different things. But in a similar way, they're all doing a lot with very little. And the film reminded me of this criticism I heard about Wes Anderson movies. And it was something on the line that Wes Anderson movies are like an event with a film around it. And his films are about the aftermath of things, particularly the early ones. And even though this stylistically couldn't be any more different from what was in film, there's something similar in that it's all about people reacting to a much bigger thing. And it's all about um, the conversations, the silences and the pauses contain more meaning than the actual dialogue. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And the actors really do a brilliant job of conveying this laura dern and michelle williams are always brilliant and they're brilliant in this kristen stewart i haven't really seen her other meaty i'm a serious actress uh role since she quit say, like she's she's really carving out a little niche for herself yeah, in both this her business. and Arpats are sort of seeking out interesting cool auteurs to work with and she is really really good in this, this is, i mean i'm only comparing this to uh twilight breaking dawn part one that's yeah. the last film i saw her in well that is one of the best films of all time so. on reflection that is an incredible performance but she does a really good job of being convincingly normal if you know what i mean like all the actresses they're all like these beautiful movie stars and it's a bit like i remember we were discussing how matt damon was supposed to be the role in manchester by the sea but like matt damon cannot play a janitor the guy's huge yeah that's yeah. ridiculous yeah whereas christian stewart it's not that she's like oh she's just an actress who's wearing an unflattering jumper she completely commits to the role and carves out this totally believable character and the whole thing is done with such hyper realism and the actors really convey that and um lily gladstone is amazing in it she's almost like she epitomizes the approach of the movie in that she is probably the, the least dialogue and the most internal emotional struggle going on and uh she's just one of those people who's like just you stick a camera on and you're like what's lily gladstone thinking about well i was i just more. i watched the trailer for this only and i was already half in love with lily gladstone based on her she's also awesome. dinah scenes i did have some niggles with the film sam sure maybe i'm just a misogynist but i hated <laughs> all the women <laughs> no um it's a bit weird in that like half the strength of the movie is the fact that you compare them and that makes you invest in the movie more. But also, I think it's very easy to rank the quality of the three short stories. Yeah. And uh, the Michelle Williams plotline, uh, I think, is the least content-filled. It's not just that the internal struggle is not as interesting. It's just that there's literally that not that much going on in terms of the actual plot. And the film is sometimes a bit too subtle for its own good, I think. And there's perhaps a fine line between the scene being about what's not being said and just nothing much is actually being said completely. But it's a very thoughtful and open-ended movie, and I think it invites you as an audience to get involved with it. I've read a few glowing reviews, and the sort of film which is so, um, which has so much faith in the audience to work it out that 
you can like it and like read these reviews and like maybe it is a masterpiece and as i was reading them i was like i'm just an idiot this is a masterpiece you've convinced me little white lies it wasn't quite that for me i think it's just very strong and there are moments where i think it borders on the self-indulgent a little bit yeah but the acting is so damn good and it finishes strong the best story is the last one well that's good that helps yeah so well worth a watch my favorite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends, and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. Sam, I heard you saw a film by made by a child, right? A sort of small boy made this. Yes, a baby made this. Um, little baby Xavier Dolan, the enfant terrible of cinema, or whatever. He's got even more talent than Damien Chazelle. <laughs> Um, he's, he's 27 which means that he's such a little baby boy he's only just older than we are and he's made six fucking films absolutely disgusting person Ugh. his latest is It's Only the End of the World it is an adaptation of a play by the same name which is about a guy called Lewis and he's a young man well he's youngish he's much older than Xavier Dolan little baby he's 34 and he is returning home to his family to announce to them that he is dying what? And uh, every member of his family is a very famous actor, including Marion Cotillard, Lea Seydoux, Vincent Cassel, and the main guy is played by Gaspar Ulliel, who um, is, uh, was Yves Saint Laurent in a recent biopic. Bunch of hotties. Total, everyone in this film is an absolute babe. Babe to the max. And it was directed by a babe. He is actually but, quite, yeah, he's babe age-wise, but he's a pretty good-looking guy as well. Yeah. Um, here's a clip. Hello, I'm back. Uh, you missed me. I got a thing to say. Sit down, sit down. Uh, I save you. I save you. I'm dying. Uh, who cares? Who cares? Only the end of the world. Pass the, the tabule and the chips. Uh, uh, pass the lunch. I'll eat it and then I'll die. Who cares? Whatever. Goodbye. I'm flying back to France now. Yeah, so I didn't know really, know really anything about this movie before I went to see it. I just wanted, I was in the mood to see some sort of meaty film for film lovers that no one else was going to see, probably. And it's pretty good. It's not the easiest watch, but on reflection, I think I've enjoyed it more. It's based on a play which is quite experimental, apparently, and only in the first half follows a kind of, like, naturalistic structure. And in the second half of the play is a lot of monologues, and it, the sort of time scale of it becomes very unclear. And in this adaptation of it, it's been turned into, you know, more of a um, naturalistic kind of family drama. But it maintains a lot of, like, stylization that makes things slightly off and odd. Right. For example, people don't talk in a completely natural way. There is a sort of strange amount of, like, monologuing. And also the characters, especially Marion Cotillard's character, who's quite uncertain, is, like, constantly correcting her own grammar. Like, she will make, like, grammatical mistakes and correct them. Right. And as I was watching this, I was like are we supposed to understand that she's not actually French? But then I was only later when I like read about the play and I was like, oh, I see it's just part of the play that they do this. And it's some kind of way of evoking that these people have difficulty communicating. Uh, and also the timescale is like a bit odd. Like this lunch seems to go on for absolutely for ages and people are like constantly like recusing themselves and having long discussions in rooms or like going on drives and, uh, and stuff like that. Well, they're French, you know, they do what they want. They do what they want. Who cares? Lunch lasts 48 hours. I don't care. Yeah, it's it's like a tense family drama, uh, sort of awkward family meal type material that really zeroes in in a kind of laser-like way on the difficulties that humans have with 
communicating with each other. It's a bit like what you were saying about certain women where a lot of it is about what people don't say. But instead of that being expressed in silences, it's expressed in like chatter. Yeah. And it's also occasionally broken up with people very directly expressing their thoughts in like more private moments when they kind of open up. So it's a little hard to get a handle on in that way. There's no middle ground. We're either talking about nothing or the most important things. Yeah. That's actually kind of that's actually kind of true. Right. Um, and uh, and those worlds kind of are very separate at the beginning of the movie and then like start to collide a bit later on. What makes it a bit hard to watch at the beginning is that it's shot basically either in close up or in like super close up. These actors must have been moisturizing a lot and getting fantastic makeup done prior to everyday shooting because like that you see a horrendous amount of detail. That's why they all have to be so incredibly good looking. Sure. Because you've got to see this face in like giant, like Easter Island statue style, like yeah. mega head. I um, mean, you look good in a mid shot, but if we zoomed in close, God. No, you'd see why I'm not on, not in this movie. Yeah. If you zoomed in on my face. And it's a bit like before the movie has taken the time to establish the characters and invest you in the story. It's a little bit like, why are you doing this to me? You know, before you realize what they're talking about, what their relationships are. And like, you get some hint of their histories. Because the, it kind of plays its cards quite close to its chest. And a lot of the things that exist between the characters and relationships are just sort of teased out over time. But before it does that, it's just a bit like, I don't understand, like, why is there like, a, you know, a 30 second shot of just this guy's face is like, while well, his eyebrow moves in slow motion in some like techno plays, genius. you know? That sounds incredible. It yeah, sounds it's like a genius. bit like, well, the thing is that the, the movie builds up enough drama that by the end that approach that makes sense right okay and at the beginning it feels a bit pretentious so it's a film that kind of earns its own stylistic quirks i think yeah the performances are very strong and i feel like there's such a forensic focus on the tiniest movements of people's faces that they really have to be yeah and there's a there's a extent to which i think that almost as well like what you're saying about certain women that like you're not sure how much it's just the audience is filling in the gaps because you can tell they're being left for you and how much is actually there. Yeah. It's like if you spend enough time looking at somebody's face, does do their thoughts just come out of it? You know? Yeah. It's whether like, whether they're know, doing anything or not. If a data source is large enough, you can find any code you want in it. It's sort of, yeah, it's yeah. a bit like that. Like the numerology of uh, yeah. you're doing the Kabbalah with people's like, um, sure, like sure, movements I get that. of their lips and their eyes and stuff like that. And you're like, wow, this film is deep. But I think there is enough meat on the bones basically broadly to justify it because like you learn enough like actual tangible details about these people that in the second half of the film there are genuine tensions that the scenes are exploring. And I think it does quite well in depicting the sort of contradictions or the difficulties of um, this kind of prodigal son type scenario, which is that he's been away for like 12 years and hasn't seen his family in this time. And his, uh, his younger sister, played by Lea Seydoux, is like, you know, was a child when he left and stuff like that. Now she's um, a total hottie. Now she's a babe. Uh, so is she a Bond girl? Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But about how they're, they're really glad to see him and they're also very keen to please him because it's a bit like receiving a visit from a sort of beloved stranger. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, if, if you're visited by a family member that you don't know, you want to roll out the red carpet for them. And so there's that element to it. But they're also deeply resentful of him for having left them. And there's the sense of abandonment. And that creates interesting drama, basically. And they each kind of react to it in different ways and have different uh, responses to it. And it's a kind of exploration of, like, the psychology of family relationships, in a way. With the tensions that exist in any family exploded by the length of time evolved that he was away. I guess parents are often kind of 
you know might be much, like resentful of their children for not being in touch enough or whatever i definitely had this movement it's like i gotta call my mom here <laughs> um i'm here <laughs> so that? hello i'm dying hello hello mom i'm dying don't worry it's fine yeah and it's also like it plays with your expectations in quite a clever way like people suggest they're going to do things and then it just never happens um you know when you're kind of taught to imagine that when things are set up like yeah, yeah. those things will then be followed through and you know um and things like that i i enjoyed it basically i can see how it would be a divisive movie because there's that element of the kind of filmmaking whiz kid who's got like a million and one ideas and uh i was listening to a bfi talk with him describing the movie and he was like talking about the color scheme and the, the sort of uh feeling of every scene and exactly what the atmosphere wanted to this child like doesn't understand cinema he just wants to impress me with his bag of tricks <laughs> well yeah i mean he he's a he's a very smart guy and he knows what he's doing and everything like that but like you, i can imagine how you could go in and like, sure, come sure. away with having that feeling a little bit um especially like a couple of scenes where you do feel like he's just like this play is sparse content 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 you gotta throw things in like random flashbacks that don't illuminate anything or like you know a crazy shot of a clock it's so exciting you know fuck um and he's kind of taken the exact opposite approach to Denzel Washington making fences where like Denzel Washington was like getting out of the way of the play entirely. And he's like getting up in its grill, rewriting it, <laughs> like uh, imposing his own um, uh, aesthetic on it completely. Uh, like there's more like techno music, I think, than that the playwright necessarily would have put into it. But yeah, I thought it was pretty good. It's basically cool seeing this all-star cast all hanging out and like acting their absolute socks off. I've seen so much acting lately, Danny. I've just... Oh, I just okay? can't take. I gotta see a movie where nobody acts like fucking. I gotta see John Wick three immediately, like a zero <laughs> acting film. Yeah, um, and it's it's not excessively long. It's like ninety nine minutes long. Um, Sweet. It's kind of yeah. It's like a bit of like it's like a pop music video, but with like the intensity of some sort of what I imagine a Harold Pinter play is like. <laughs> cool. When Graf heard something that changed his life, what he listened to. When John Cusack made a mixtape for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? And when Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sam, a new story that caught my eye this week was that before Obama left the White House, he requested a screening of Monster Trucks. Of course he did. That movie that sort of came and went with not much fanfare. And I was guess a... Malia wanted to see it. Yeah, Malia. Or... Where, like, there's a tentacle monster and it lives inside giant trucks. Yeah, and I've... this is quite amusing. And uh, this new story led me on to just say a bit of wikipedia around about just the history of screenings in the White House. Fascinating. And I thought, Topic. what better way to educate you than the form of a fun quiz? So what you're saying is, in order to educate me about something that you presume I do not know about, you're going to qu- quiz my knowledge on it. Well, it's multiple choice. Okay. Cool. We can have fun so I got, learning. I got a bit of, yeah, we'll have fun learning together. I got a bit of, I just got to hope that Lady Luck is smiling on me. Absolutely. Question one. What was the first movie screened at the White House? Was it A, The Birth of a Nation, B, City Lights, or C, The General? I'm going to guess Birth of a Nation. Correct. Yes. Because I think Wilson. I heard that Woodrow Wilson's a big fan of it. Yeah. I can remember him. Yeah, screened it. Oh, off to a flying star. He's a massive racist. He was a massive racist. So he really enjoyed the racism aspect. Yeah. He hated war. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is why he didn't enjoy the battle scenes. Unless it was a race war. Race war is all, all, all over that. 
Question two, JFK watched which movie in the White House on the night before he was assassinated? A, Cleopatra. B, The Birds. C, From Russia With Love. Oh my God, this is like, are these all from the same year so I don't feel like an idiot? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna guess Cleopatra. I'm sorry. Was it The Birds? No. <laughs> was it From Russia With Love? It was. Yes! If you watch Cleopatra, that's a long movie. Maybe he'd still be alive. Maybe he'd still be with us. Because it would, he would have woken up late because he would have gone to bed later. And he would have been tired. Would have been he would tired. have overslept and missed the parade. Yes, maybe. It would have been different. If it wasn't for <laughs> James Bond, he killed JFK. Question three. What was the last film Bill Clinton watched at the White House as president? A. The Patriot. B. Shaft, the 2000 version. <coughs> or C. Chocolat. Um, the Patriot? No, that's not. It's going to be one of your like, because it's like what sort of thing a president watched. I'm going to guess Shaft. No, oh, it, fuck, it was Chocolat, but those uh, he watched the Patriot and the Shaft. There, there's a list of Clinton's watching. Oh, okay. And he watched the Patriot twice, in fact. Wow. He requested it twice, like once in June and once in July. And that is a shit movie. So Bill Clinton's taste in films is bad terrible. President. Bad president. Bad president. During his presidency, Eisenhower refused to watch films which featured which actor? A. Cary Grant B. Robert Mitchum or C. Kirk Douglas Mitchum Correct Was he a commie? Well, apparently the reason was that he had served time for uh, possession of marijuana and Eisenhower ah. was such a straight-laced conservative dude he wouldn't dare watch a movie with this pot-smoking hippie not. You don't want to do that Yeah You could just smell the stinky marijuana breath on him Coming through the screen. Disgusting. Okay, final question. Trump, during his limited time in office, has only requested two films to be screened. This is good. I'm going to give you five. You've got to pick out the two he's asked for. All right. Is it A, Finding Dory, B, Zoolander 2, C, Star Trek Beyond, 4, Why Him, 5, Manchester by the Sea? I enjoyed how you went A, B, C, 4, 5 there. Yeah. That was a... That was a interesting and unusual approach maverick okay i'm gonna guess finding dory and wait i want to hear bc and four again <laughs> zoolander 2 star trek beyond why him manchester by the sea uh, i'm gonna guess finding dory and zoolander 2 you're half right <laughs> okay just tell me i can't uh finding dory he requested and why him the brian cranston james franco comedy right. Which is quite funny, given how unpopular he is as a president. Yeah. Why, Why him? him? That's true. Yeah, that's a bit of a funny choice. Yeah, yeah. so um, I feel like one thing presidents don't think about is the legacy they leave with the final film that they watch. Yeah. Chocolat? Chocolat is delightful. Chocolat's okay, but like, I feel like Monster Trice is not necessarily... That's not a very presidential pick. You should have surely you should have got fences or moonlight, right? Yeah, in January. Absolutely, he should have, and that was a mistake. But I understand why these records exist. Like, can they not just watch it on Netflix? Do they have to like call the Secret Service up and? Be oh, like, I should Get explain. There's like, uh, there's a cinema in the White House. A oh, so he's having room. a proper screening. Yeah. And so like, some... I'm not just watching it on my giant presidential iPad. I'm going to get into the proper cinema. Yeah, and sometimes it's just a DVD, and sometimes they just call up the studios and like send us a print of whatever's out. I'm, sure. I'm literally the, pres the president wants it. I want to watch Logan. I know it's not out till f actually it's out today, but in America, maybe if it was yesterday, they could get it. <laughs> yeah, I see the point. I see the point you're getting at. I want to watch Avengers: Infinity War Part Two, and I know it won't be made for several years, but I'm the president. Make it happen. Make it happen. 
the fate of the free world depends on it. <laughs> All right. That's enough nonsense. Enough nonsense. Thanks so much for listening. Next week, we'll be reviewing some films. I don't know what they're going to be. Maybe Logan. Though. Yeah, I kind of want to see that. It's got good reviews, doesn't it? Yeah. That's the perfect um, less acting film for me to like decompress with. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, I hear there's got some acting in it. Oh, no. But there's some playing and stuff. Thank God. Oh, yeah. So thanks so much for listening, guys. See yeah. you next week. See you next week. Bye. Awards are stupid. Every real estate office has some framed five diamond president's award thing by the desk. Every hotel check-in has some gold circle service thing. Every car salesman's a platinum jubilee winner. And it's all a big jerk-off. It's, it's, it is. The hotel sucks. The real estate person is stupid. And the only thing the car salesman is good at is ripping you off. And why? Because awards don't mean a goddamn thing. It's stupid. They're all stupid. <laughs> all the award shows on TV. I mean, I mean it, honestly, it is beyond me that we feel the need to set aside a night to give out these Jag-Off bowling trophies. <laughs> Six times a year, so all these people can pat each other on the back how much, about how much money they're making boring the piss out of half the world. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.